This podcast is marketing material for a South Africa investment professional only. Welcome to the Schrader's Global Market Perspective, a monthly discussion on global markets to help South African investors navigate offshore investing. My name is Doug Abbott, country head of our South African business and normally based in Cape Town. But today I'm joined in London in early September by David Philpotts from our QEP equity team. Welcome, David. Thank you. David is a senior member of our QEP team and head of strategy for our QEP team. The QEP uh, team is a significant team at Schroders and they manage assets of 31 billion US dollars, which is about 459 billion rand. The team focus on global equity investing and their style focuses on trying to identify the best mix of both value and quality companies globally. David spent 16 years living and working for the QEP team in Sydney and he's recently moved back to London. David, how have you found being back? Well, I didn't move back for the weather, Doug. So it's uh, no, it's been nice. It's, it's been good to be back at, in the head office where you know the great and the good are, and, uh, and I'm enjoying being near Europe again. So so far, no regrets. Very good, and uh, indeed, we're hoping to get David to come out to South Africa at some point in 2020 to both get some sunshine and introduce him to the South African market. If you listened to last month's podcast, you would have heard Remy from our multi-asset team discussing their team's allocation views in an environment of a slowing growth outlook, the return of trade wars between the US and China, negative yields across a significant portion of the developed markets, and geopolitical risk as tensions rise in Hong Kong and the latest Brexit deadline approaches. Indeed, global investors seem to be torn between owning expensive assets which are exposed to growth or offer some kind of yield, or looking to cheaper assets with a more cyclical exposure in a late cycle environment. Today, we're going to focus on the outlook for global equities, the investment class which is most popular with South African investors for their offshore exposure. And South African investors face difficult decisions at the moment, with these markets looking expensive versus history, but not many other places for them to go when the GSE remains subdued and safer assets in global markets fail to offer return profiles which are attractive given the volatility of the RAND and local inflation rates. To put all of this in perspective, year-to-date, the MSCI world in US dollars is up 14.4%. Within that, the MSCI world growth has returned 20.6%, whilst value, the MSCI value index, has struggled, returning only 7.78% this year. Overall, August was a difficult month, with a negative return for the MSCI world in US dollars of 2.24%. So, David, let's start by talking about August. A lot, a lot going on on the macro side and geopolitically. What was happening in equity markets through that period? It really is a, re- a reaction to exactly what you said. It's like fears of a slowdown in global growth. That you know the data coming out, uh, particularly of the uh, China and European economies, has been quite weak. Um, the we've got, we've had this. Uh, Inverted yield curve, where um, you know, long-term yields are now lower than than short-run uh, short-term y- uh, yields, which is worrying only in the extent, to the extent that it's normally a sort of a, a telltale sign of a future recession. And this is what markets have, have sort of latched onto. Um, the themes during August were very much then like a rush to the hills, you know, safe havens, you know, gold, the dollar, you know, any anything diversifying, like sort of the, the Japanese equities went up. In, within equities themselves, it was uh, the safe havens like utilities, real estate, um, some of the healthcare stocks which had been beaten up earlier in the year actually even came back. And then, what, and the other reason why some of the 
uh, the high yielding sectors as well is just is, a, is the other side of that collapse in treasury yields we saw. Um, so, you know, utilities, um, you know, we wouldn't expect to do quite as well in this environment, but actually was you know was by far the best performer in the in the, in the uh, period. And how are you finding being, I guess, an equity investor who focuses on the fundamentals and the underlying valuation and quality of companies in an environment where what's driving equity markets is things that are not traditionally what you're interested in? It's, 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 it's macro things, it's, it's negative yields, it's people looking for some kind of return when there, there isn't any anywhere else. I mean, how difficult are you finding that as an equity? Well, there's, there's two ways of thinking about the importance of the macro on, on the markets. You know, one is that you try and forecast what's going on and and then you try and build your investment portfolio around it. And, you know, my, my one of my first jobs was as an economist at the Bank of England, you know, uh, 30 years ago. And, and I and I learned quite early on that you don't, you know, trying to forecast is a mugs game. Um, and even if you can get that, any accuracy there, then, you know, knowing how to match your portfolio with it is, is still difficult. So um, this year, everyone's been thrown off by... The, the the collapse in bond yields, um, you know, that wasn't foreseen. Everyone was looking at sort of dollar weakness after a lot after a, a sort of a period of strength, and you know that exactly the opposite's happened. Um, so from my point of view, I just see the macro as a sort of like a source of noise, which we can then exploit from the portf- in the portfolio. So markets become very pessimistic at times, and you know now perhaps is one of those experiences where they've become a bit a bit too worried about what you know the future is going to be look, look like, and perhaps bidding up the price of some of these defensive stocks too much, um, and some of the cyclicals like, like resources, financials which tanked in August uh, and have performed poorly all year are now actually looking quite attractively valued. So I don't need to necessarily forecast what's going to happen. All I can say is, well, the risks are more than priced in. And I think the, um, you know, there's the, some reversion to the mean is going to happen at some point, And that's an opportunity for a, particularly for a value orientated investor. I mean, given what you've just said there, it's interesting because talking to the South African market in particular, I think there's a growing lack of faith that some of the cyclicals, particularly value stocks might come through. And, and what people are focusing on is that you need to, in global equities, be, be owning the stocks that have growth potential. Mm-hmm. Um, and that points them in the direction of the US, where there is still some growth, although the outlook seems to be slowing. And on the other con- converse side of that is this difficulty about um, those stocks in the US in particular, or growth stocks being very expensive. And, and investors are torn between this decision of, do I have faith in mean reversion and, and going to the cheaper, more cyclical side of the market? Or do I... Or do I own these stocks where there is some growth, the growth outlook look, look, looks challenged, but, you know, they are offering some return. I mean, can you talk about kind of your view on pricing in, in those areas, which a lot of people that we're uh, are listening to this podcast will, will be exposed? Yeah, I mean, if you, if you go back the last, over the past decade, it's been, you know, a terrible time for value investors. You know, the longest sort of drawdown that we've had since the, the 30s, um, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's much worse in, in many ways than the sort of the late 90s, because that was like, a, you know, very sharp, but short, and then and followed by a very sort of a swift, strong recovery, which lasted years. Um, so it's all been driven by low interest rates, again, and this subdued economic cycle. And as you say, that's encouraged investors to, or attracted investors to those stocks that can offer like secular growth, um, anything that's sort of immune from the economic cycle. So these disrupt- disruptive stocks like the Facebooks and Amazons of the world have obviously sort of capitalized upon that and their valuations currently reflect it. So another difference with the, the late 90s is that those stocks have actually outperformed because of positive surprises in their earnings. It's not like... Um, 
they they've um, you know there's this promise of jam tomorrow. I mean they they very much have sort of every month every quarter come in with sort of good numbers. So as you mentioned, the US has been the sort of the primary driver of uh, equities returns over the last uh, few years, and a lot of that has been justified because of the you know it's a, it's a superior market in terms of its quality, you know stronger fundamentals, and then you have this sort of cohort of of sort of strong growing stocks. Our, our conjecture now, though, is that that, that's, that process has gone too far. You know, ultimately, growth can't continue at the same cliff as it has done um, in the past for these stocks. And valuations now are also overtaking events to the point where, you know, multiples are, are, are moving beyond what we think are reasonable, given the, the prospects for these stocks sort of um, over the next few years. Um, you know, we back out, in effect, the sort of the implied growth rates that, that the current valuations of these stocks um, are suggesting. And they, they do seem very toppy compared to what's um, been achieved historically and more to the point, what analysts are expecting going ahead. So it's always difficult to know what the catalyst is going to be for a rotation away from these stocks. But perhaps the more interesting point is not so much about avoiding those stocks. It's more about what's happened to the rest of the market because this this sort of... Um, because it's, the market's been so narrow, and and um, and all these these stocks have gained all the attention. The average stock has actually been left behind. is pretty cheap, and is also pretty good quality. You know, many you don't have to go into these sort of deep value stocks. You know, sort of buying distress like you might have had to do um, in a previous sort of downturns. There's actually like an abundance of sort of high quality opportunities right across the market, which are also attractively valued. So, the um, you know, I, I think. You know, this is unusual for many ways, but actually you don't need to take a lot of risk to sort of embrace value at the moment. Whatever the catalyst is to that rebound is is difficult to say, but, um, you know, this, the odds are definitely stacked in, in, in its favour at the moment. Okay. And and just for the, the people listening, I mean, uh, the QEP team, as I mentioned at the start, focus on trying to look for opportunities that are a good combination of value and quality. Um, and you just mentioned, obviously, that you're finding good quality opportunities. Which sort of areas or sectors do you think offer that combination of good quality, uh, which I think most investors agree is a, a, a good company to invest in, but the, the other side of that is obviously finding them at a good price. So which sectors and areas are you seeing those opportunities? Yeah, just to be clear, the way we think of quality is more about stable profitability without resorting to excessive leverage. So these are exactly the type of companies you'd expect to do well in the long run, but particularly during sort of cyclical slowdowns when, um, you know, reliance on sort of overstretched balance sheets is, you know, is a concern. So um, going back to the point about where, where we see opportunities, we are concerned about the cyclical environment. So we have been sort of focusing more on financial strength. So even in some of those deeper value areas that I mentioned, like banks, we, we still dial up the sort of the focus on asset quality in particular. So there are selective opportunities within, within banks, um, but they're generally like in the US and the big banks like the Morgan Stanley's and the Goldman's, which, you know, are trading on, you know, close to book values or still on double digit sort of ROEs, you know, which is very unusual. But but outside of the sort of, you know, you th those big names, you have to be very selective within banks. More, more generally, as I said, you can find like, a plenty of, of sort of opportunities in a, in a sort of a full global universe, but where they're probably most manifest is in areas like um, 
uh, healthcare, uh, particularly like the pharmaceutical stocks. You know, they've had a bit of a run in in um, August as as a market sort of started favoured favouring defensive uh, stocks again. But they've been out of favour because of sort of the risk of drug price regulation in in the US with the sort of the the, the presidential cycle coming around again. Um, but even European pharma names are looking sort of very attractive at the moment. And, and they, to us, they tick a lot of boxes. They're 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 attractively valued. They're they're um, they're profitable. Uh, most of them offer very generous sort of dividend yields. Um, they're stable and they're financially strong. So, from our point of view, you know, you don't have to go much further to sort of, you know, to get to get have your cake and eat it. Um, other than that, if you were looking into a sort of more, um, sort of, uh, you know, perhaps more sort of short term sort of plays, it would be areas like U.S. industrials, which once again have been, you know, hit, hit by the 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 uh, Chinese US sort of trade war and and many of those have sort of fallen uh, by the wayside but actually um, once again you know it's more than in the price and some of the money even exposed to China as perhaps like um, you know is being is being discounted um, and from a regional point of view like we not surprising as you alluded to earlier on about what's going on in Parliament at the moment in the, here in the UK you know we find a lot of UK stocks cheap but then the stocks that we like are actually the dollar earners which aren't really exposed to the UK uh, UK domestic economy and actually benefit from sort of sterling weakness, but you can find lots of lots of um, uh, stocks to choose from within the UK. And then more generally, uh, just to finish off, uh, uh, emerging markets as a as a whole is 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 um, looking sort of decidedly cheap to, uh, to me, even even though there are higher risks in in that area of the world. Okay, well let's pin down on those two points then. So within what you said about the UK. I mean, it sounds like your view would be that those dollar earners have been oversold, despite the fact their revenue comes from overseas. I mean, uh, and we know that the FTSE 100, there's a huge amount of overseas earners. Is that the case? The, the, the pricing is reflecting Brexit risk that isn't necessarily reflective. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, if you look on a relative performance point of view, de- the domestic stocks, you know, like, you know, what you'd ca- you know, capture in the 250, the FTSE 250 type stocks are definitely underperformed by more. Um, but actually, the whole market has underperformed massively. And it's not, it's not, this is not just related to a sterling sort of weakness uh, story, you know, in local currency terms, the whole market is weak. So, you know, we can find opportunities and resources in, in pharmaceuticals, in banks. Some of these are, um, you know, more domestically focused, but in the main, they're actually sort of relatively immune to what's going on at the moment, um, you know, in the domestic economy. And as I said, if anything, sterling carried on weakening from here, which probably seems unlikely given that given how far we've come already, then the translation effect in their earnings is actually positive. And let's look at the second point you made, which is emerging markets and emerging markets looking attractive. And this is an area that's particularly pertinent to South Africans being based in a in an emerging market. And indeed, a lot of the dialogue this year has been about how cheap the JSE is currently versus history. Um, but with emerging market equities, what we've seen is that when the dollar's strong, they've struggled. Mm-hmm. Um, equally, emerging market uh, rates do offer some return for international investors, but currencies can go everywhere and sentiment's been pretty weak. So which areas look attractive? And do you think in order to own them, are the macro risks too high? Uh, no, I think I mean if you if you go back say to the financial crisis, like you know to, to late two thousand eight, like emerging markets were actually priced at a premium to developed markets, which and this is all like the the prospect of sort of future growth, which was really appealing to investors at the time. But they clearly are riskier, and that that's been uh, evident over the over the last decade in the experience in terms of. Um, 
um, you know, volatility around currencies, as, as you mentioned. So that premium then was was unusual and was unjustified. Today, you're looking at say something more like a thirty percent discount to developed markets, and that's even after including some of the more expensive stocks like the sort of the ten cent and NASPERS, which are sort of index heavyweights, which are you know similar to the U.S. sort of growth stocks of, of, of um, looking a little bit sort of overstretched at the moment. So, in general, um, the market's very cheap. Some of that, as you say, is is just reflecting sort of risks. You know, so we're very wary of um, you know say some of the um, you know, the weaker Chinese banks and what have you, which, um, you know, still was sort of a reasonable part of the the universe, but where we'd sort of have concerns about their sort of asset quality sort of going going ahead. Outside of there, um, we actually do quite like a lot of the South African stocks. You know, it's, as you know, it's a very rich, um, diversified uh, market across sort of many, many sectors, you know, lots of overseas earners in there as well. Um, and, you know, we have exposure across, you know, the financials, the resources there, um, and, and, and telecoms as well. So, you know, it's, all, it's been a sort of a favoured market in our in our um, emerging market funds uh, for, for some time. What we do do, though, is we often do hedge the rand. Um, if we like the market from sort of bottom up uh, reasons, you know, in effect, you know, we like the stocks, but don't like the sort of the currency risk, we will take that out of the fund. Um, and that's been successful for us over the last few years. And um, the QEP process actually uses a country risk model for when you're looking at emerging markets. I mean, in terms of where South Africa lies on that, what are the sort of big risks? And is it is it higher or lower in the kind of ranking? Well, I, I've, I've sort of given it away to some extent. The fact that we actually hedge the currency sort of is an indication of uh, our perspective there. I mean, the, the reason, um, yeah, I mean, South Africa is, you know, is regarded as a sli- you know, slightly higher risk market. And, and, and just to just to sort of elaborate, we, we we think about country risk across many spectrums. It's currency valuation, currency credibility, credit risk, growth risks, and and political sort of and 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 so the yeah, social risks in, in that uh, come into that sort of uh, modelling framework. Um, South Africa scores less well on sort of currency credibility. You know, the volatility around the rand is obviously a, a big factor, which is one of the reasons why when we we um, we are overweight the market that we we tend to take out some of the risks by by hedging the currency back. I'm going to turn to a sector which is. Uh, relevant for South Africans, but also one which has been very interesting this year, which is gold and gold equities, which mm. has, has done very well in an environment where yields have been declining um, and people have been using it as a hedge in case inflation returns. Um, do you have a view on gold stocks? Have they gone too far or um, or do they look good value at all? The um, it's, it's always tricky with miners in in whether it's gold or or iron or what have you in the sense that they're obviously reacting to you know a commodity price move that's already happened you know gold took a long while to catch up to the fact that you know the the investors were sort of anxious about the world and then it and then it sort of um um you know, it's had a strong run recently, as you know, and the gold miners are up about 50%, you know, in, in, year to date. So clearly they've done well from a sort of profitability point of view. They don't actually look that, that great at the moment, but we know those earnings are going to be coming through over the next sort of quarter or so as it reflects the sort of the high gold price. So as of today, they look... Um, sort of volatile, um, you know, a little bit leveraged and not that profitable in six months time, they'll actually, you know, when the reports come, the numbers come through, they won't look, they'll actually look quite attractive, which is probably the worst time to be buying them, you know, unless you think there is going to be a, you know, a very deep recession where, you know, gold is going to be the sort of the, the ultimate sort of safe haven. So, um, as I said earlier, we don't take a view on you know whether the gold price is you know is correctly pricing in um, sort of the, the macro um, uh, backdrop at the moment. From our point of view, 
it's not actually that big a sector. Um, you know, it's, it's a, if, if you look at it, it's sort of part of the bigger in, indices like MSCI um, world. It's only like 0.4% of the of the universe. We own a few Canadian sort of gold stocks, so but we're not we're not sort of you know taking um, you know we're not, we haven't piled in, which perhaps was a mistake given you know given what's happened. But where we given where we are now, it doesn't seem the right time to sort of ch- to chase that performance. And let's focus uh, just finally on miners, another sector that's very interesting for South Africans. Um, and in this environment, it'd be interesting just to know what your your view of the value and quality of mining companies generally is at the moment, kind of on a global basis, and and uh, whether you think both are strong or there's areas of weakness. Yeah, we do. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a very broad church, and we do own um, you know a number of the resource stocks, you know, miners in particular, including in within in, within South Africa. Um, that's probably the one area where we would that we would regard as our sort of deep value exposure in the portfolio. As I said, elsewhere you can buy sort of value and quality, and you haven't really got to sort of uh, you know take the risk. Whereas miners at the moment, you know, given the volatility, and you, you, I'm sure you're aware of what's been happening in the iron ore price recently. So they're they're caught a little bit in that sort of cyclical exposure. Everyone is expecting the you know the the, the world to slow down. Chinese growth as well as disappointing, as I mentioned earlier on. So commodity prices are definitely under pressure. So from a cyclical point of view, um, you know, as I said, gold aside, which we just covered, there it's probably not a great time. Um, they they are still very cheap. Um, so as I said, if you know, selectively there, I think we're we're still happy to sort of dip out dip in there, but without sort of you know going you know going uh, going all the way um the other concern we have for some of the minor stocks is you know particularly the way those with sort of thermal coal exposure is is the sort of the government uh, sorry is uh, the um, environmental sort of risks around them in terms of sort of regulatory pressures and on, on them so we do tend to sort of avoid those with like much higher thermal coal exposure because even if you forget about the cyclical environment, there's obviously structural headwinds against those stocks. Okay. Well, it looks like we're out of time. So David, thanks very much for your views and opinions. Very interesting. Uh, For those of you listening, uh, we do hope to get David out to South Africa at some point next year. If you have any further questions, then feel free to get in touch with the local team in South Africa. Thanks for listening. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance and may not be repeated. Schroeder's Investment Management Limited is an authorized financial services provider. FSP number 48998, registration number 01893220, incorporated in England and Wales. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation. Any funds, services or products mentioned might not be appropriate for all listeners. Please speak to a financial advisor if you are unsure as to the suitability of any investment.